Welcome to Can You Hold My Attention? I'm your host, Eric Bruton. Thank you for tuning into my podcast today. On this show, I invite some of the most important and exciting leaders in wealth management and fintech to discuss and debate the latest trends and hottest topics facing financial advisors today. So why should you listen to this show? Well, my goal is for you to learn one or two ideas that will help you run a better business and or become a stronger leader. These shows have been a blast to do, mostly because of the great guests and the interesting conversations we've had. You can follow Can You Hold My Attention on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. The alternative investment product industry is massive. It accounts for over $10 trillion in assets, but only $80 billion of that is with RIAs and retail wealth advisors. 65% of RIAs still allocate less than 10% of their portfolio to alts. Access to product, especially fee-based product, is on the rise. Fee transparency is approved, and so has regulation around the products but still growth is slow in the RIA space. In steps Abby Salome, the new CMO at Case Group. She and her new firm are on a mission to democratize access to the alternative product space and elevate the confidence advisors have in using alternatives for their clients. She's the right person at the right time. Why? Because Abby truly understands the financial advisor having worked with him or her for so many years, and she understands the advisor's client as well. You need to start there if you want a shot at measurably changing the landscape of this industry as it relates to an investment product. Abby's 25-year career in financial services includes leadership positions at TD Ameritrade, the private advisor group, one of the largest RIAs in the country, and at the strategic acquirer Hightower. Abby has made each of these firms a better place through her marketing leadership efforts, and the clients of these firms have reaped the benefits of her work. Abby was a dear colleague of mine at TD Ameritrade. Like many others she's worked with, Abby pushed me to be a better leader and a better person. She's also been a major advocate for female leadership and more meaningful diversity in financial services. I'm just happy to have her on my show today. Welcome, Abby, to Can You Hold My Attention? It's good to see you again and hear you again. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me and happy holidays. Happy holidays to you, too. You know, we've worked together several times in the past, and I've always told people that it's amazing when a chief marketing officer and a head of sales or national sales manager can get along so well because that harmony produces amazing results. And we had that at TD Ameritrade, didn't we? We definitely did. I mean, I felt like we had such a great collaboration and just saw things so clearly together that we were able to achieve such great things in a very short period of time. And we did. We had an amazing team behind us or around us as well. And so uh, it's great to, to be working with you again, at least through this podcast. You're doing some different things here as uh, you just took on a new role. And I'm excited to talk to you about that and about Case. And about, you know, your your kind of your views on your career and where it's gone, because I think we've mirrored our careers have mirrored each other in, in many different ways. But it's always great to be talking to somebody who's a, a leader in this industry, 
an amazing marketer, and uh, I know you're going to do great things at Case. So uh, I'm bestowing a lot of a lot of uh, praise on you right now, just to set you up for uh, <laughs> for a great call. Oh, stop! Uh, but, Go on. Okay. Well, let's talk about Case. Okay. Sure. First of all, I want to know what Case stands for. Uh, if there's some magic to that name but uh, also what the mission is of the firm. And then we'll dive down deeper into what you're doing there in, in your career. So let's, let's just you know, talk about Case and the mission first. Yeah, so um, Case was founded uh, by Matt Brown, the founder and CEO, and the mission hasn't really changed that much. It was always around the idea of democratizing alternative investments. And that's a very overused word, democratizing anything, right? I feel like it's very played out at the moment. But what it means is that there was a time when these types of investments that could really help investors hedge away from your traditional 60-40 portfolio, and it was only available to those that had the wealthiest assets or to right. institutional investors. So the fact that the majority of the investing public did not have access to these tools that could help them hedge themselves against typical equity or fixed income fluctuations just seemed like it was a, a, a prejudice. So Matt went on the mission to figure out how he can make it easier and remove barriers for financial advisors to be able to access these types of investments for their clients. And that mission hasn't really changed much, although I will say that how we do it has changed a lot. The first focus was what are the barriers, right? I right. mean, why do clients uh, of advisors not have access to these products, whereas very you know ultra high net worth investors have always had them, foundations, endowments have always had access to them, but the mass affluent and high net worth investor haven't. So it was identifying these barriers. So what, what are some of those barriers? Well, I think the biggest barrier, and if you ask advisors that don't invest in alternative investments, why they don't, a lot of them just feel like it's a mystery um, it's very opaque. They don't really understand the investments. Um, so education is really important to us. It's been a core of our offering since the get-go, and we've invested a lot of money and time in building out educational resources for advisors so we can remove that barrier for them. And then I would say the second biggest barrier is just the complexity to actually access and transact these assets. Um, it's typically been very cumbersome and really hard to identify them and then actually make an investment in them. So right. there's a whole host of you know reasons why they haven't been adopted more for financial advisors and their clients. You know, the number one complaint I've heard over the years regarding alts is that the subscription process is just too time consuming, too laborious. Yeah. And I know Case addresses that in spades, but advisors I often found is, you know, this was 10, 20 years ago, even more so today, dealing with the complexity of doing business every day. It, it's tough enough right now with technology, with regulation, with compliance, with legal matters 
communicating with clients, when you add on extra complexity as it relates to investments, they tend to shy away from those things. And so I agree wholeheartedly with you on the education, but I think even more so, it's like, even if they were educated, still got to be easy to access these investments and, and, and explain them to your clients. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And I think I think what we're seeing now, and it's evidenced by our growth, we've you know doubled our headcount in the last year. Um, our transaction volume is off the charts from where it was a year ago or even year to date. And, um, and I think it's because there's also a greater demand from the investor right now that's learning more about alternative investments. Um, I think there's a lot more information available to the retail clients around these types of alternatives. So now you're starting to see a bottoms up push. Right. Also couple that with what's going on in the markets and advisors seeking to find better outcomes for their clients. So it's it's the perfect timing for us to be able to really tell our story. And that was one of the reasons why I came to Case, because there is such a huge opportunity to make an impact and tell the story and really get the word out there. But to answer your point around the operational inefficiencies of transacting alternative investments, um, you know, one of the things that the team has spent the better part of the last year on in quadrupling our technology team and creating a digitized subscription process. So when you think about subscription documents and you think about 30 pages of paper that needed to be filled out for each product you wanted to invest in for your client, we've removed those barriers and those burdens by creating the fintech platform that will digitize all of that. So if you input your information for a client, you do it one time only, it stores that information. Different products have different subscription documents that require different things. So automating that process so that the technology serves up only the information required for that specific type of product. So really just creating that whole efficient work stream for actually processing the transaction has been a huge part of what we focused our last, you know, couple of years on building. And it's it's really worked in spades. Well, certain products have always had a high PETA quotient, as I call it, the pain in the ass quotient. Yes. Annuities rang that bell for many, many years. And I think it kudos to the product manufacturers as well as the custodians and broker dealers. They've made it easier to engage in uh, annuities through, you know, operationalizing or digitizing this subscription process. And that's what I'm hearing cases done on the alternative side. I do wonder sometimes or worry even uh, if I were an advisor that, you know, it's almost like the real estate process. When you buy a house or sell a house, it's all online now. It's all DocuSign. And I find myself because I just recently went through a transaction, blowing through all these pages to get to the next signature or initial line and skipping, which is which is material I probably ought to be reading. And I think in the alternative space, they definitely should be reading these things because there's a lot of risks that go with this, namely, you know, illiquidity of the investment in many cases and fees and such. 
I got to think the regulators are very focused on, yeah, it's great to operationalize this, but at the same time, we still need to educate and make sure there's plenty of transparency there. Yeah, 100%. And I agree with you. Although if you think back to like your first mortgage, I, I probably would argue that you didn't read all those papers either that you were signing when you bought your first home. Yeah, but that was mostly because I was so darn worried to take out the mortgage. I just wanted to get through the painful process. <laughs> and it was painful. But to your point, so we've also been able to automate workflows for enterprises. So, for example, we work with a lot of the largest independent broker dealers and some of the largest RIA um, aggregators. And what we've done is we've customized the case platform for them meaning we've created uh, custom workflows that fit in with their ecosystem. So if an advisor wants to invest in hedge funds, the home office may require that they take a hedge fund course through our education platform, Case IQ, which is a machine learning enabled um education platform. So maybe they have to complete the the course on hedge funds. Once they complete that course on hedge funds, it switches a permission that Mm -hmm. they can then take a course on a product that's a hedge fund. That product that they may want to invest in, they need to get through that Case IQ course. And at the end of that Case IQ course, if they pass that course, that learn button turns to an invest button. And now that advisor can invest in that specific product. And all of this is archived and through the workflows that are created with the enterprise itself so that the compliance team has insights into where the advisors are in their education, whether or not somebody passed a course and can now invest in a product specifically. And then we integrate with all the custodians so that the retail client can actually see the assets show up on their portfolio statements. So it's end to end. That's what this industry has needed for for so long. You know, it's the learn button. I call it the easy button, right? You've made, you've created an easy button to get into these investments and first educate the advisor, educate the client, report to the client end to end, as I, as I talked about. From a marketing perspective, though, and this is where I want to dive more into your role, I'm sure you've got plenty of plans going forward. It's It really is, I think, a de- demystification of the alternative space. There, there are a lot of advisors out there that still look at alts as they looked at at annuities before as the dark side of this business. So it's demystifying what, you know, what that alternative space is, why you should still have an allocation to it in your client's portfolios, why you shouldn't be concerned about it, the risks and all that. Tell me what's on your mind with regard to marketing this to, to advisors. So I think we lead with education, right? So that has to be the leading conversation. It's really about, you know, providing better opportunities and better outcomes for your clients. If you're an advisor, you should be considering all different ways that you can provide a better outcome for your clients. And if you lead with education, Um, You know, you really can't do a disservice to the advisor because they're really learning as they're as they're going through this process. 
One other thing I will say is that, you know, the products that we put on the case platform go through a very strict and heavy due diligence process, not by us. We outsource that to Mercer. So we de- we decided that it would be better to separate church from state, um, meaning that we don't want to be doing the due diligence on the products that we have on the platform right. because we feel like we wanted to have a third party validate that type of due diligence. So every product that goes on our platform has gone through a pretty extensive due diligence process through Mercer before it actually gets on our platform. So there are some protective measures that we have there. um, And then leading with education and really hoping that we can start the dialogue and expand the dialogue and and help advisors see how they can incorporate this asset class into their clients' portfolios. You know, it's amazing to think about how you measure success and what you're doing. It's, 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 I would think one of the measures is the advisors that have previously never done alternatives, shied away from them, didn't understand them. Now, all of a sudden, do your educational, uh, your focus and, and the goals that you've got there they're all of a sudden turning that that leaf and at least engaging their clients in these conversations. Yeah, 100%. And look, you know, I'm on day two of week six at Case. And I can tell you, um, I've got a million different audits going on right now. I've got a brand perception audit. I've got an alternative investment audit. I've got an SEO audit. I have a brand awareness audit going on. Like, what do people think about Case? Do they even know who we are? So that we can really gauge, you know, what are the core messages that we need to be communicating out to the industry to help kind of just really expand the knowledge base around alternative investments. And that includes looking at what the legislation around using alternative investments in retirement accounts, right? Right. If you think about it, like it's a long-term play retirement accounts. This asset class should have a place for retirement assets in some cases. So we need to really be thinking about it from a holistic standpoint and how we can better improve the outcomes for the retail marketplace. I love this day two of week six. It's it's like uh, calling my uh, two-year-old kid a 24-month-old or something like that. It's (laughs) it's a great way to look at it. So uh, Let's talk about the bottom-up piece of this that you mentioned earlier. I find it intriguing that the underlying client, the investor, is learning more and more about what alternative investments are, about how to have investments that are not correlated to the market. And they are starting to understand that they're illiquid in the same sense that other investments like CDs and other things that they've had are illiquid. Along those lines, though, uh, we heard about this at a recent conference we were both at uh, with the topic of cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and, and blockchain that advisors may not believe in it. They may not totally understand it, but they have to have a story around it when their clients approach them. They can't afford to have their head in the sand and not have a story or an understanding to be able to bring that to their clients. If they don't have one, the chances are they're going to lose that client or not gain that client if they're a prospect. I got to think that's the same around alternative investments as well. So I think so. And if you look at advisors, I hate saying the word book of business because I know it's such an old term, but I'm an old person. 
But if you look at advisors' core business and their clients, if if you're not investing in this asset class for your clients and you deal with high net worth clients, they will find somebody else to invest in this type of asset class. So it really behooves you as an advisor to educate yourself and to make this part of your core offering when appropriate, of course, Um, because if you're not doing it, you do stand the chance that your clients are going to go elsewhere for this type of investment in, in this type of asset class. In addition, I would argue that there's an opportunity for you to increase your client base and and get organic growth from clients that you may not work with now that are in need of this type of asset allocation as well. So it really is an opportunity not only to deepen your engagement with existing clients, but then also look outside of your existing clients and start working with some new clients that you may not conduct business with right now. Well, and I would, I mean, it's a share wallet play on the, on, on the client side, as you're talking about from a prospect standpoint, though, it seems like it gives the advisor the ability to move upstream and work with some larger clients. Yeah. Especially if they go through a course and really understand it, you know, and the way that we construct our courses, it's, it's like I said, machine learning. So if I'm taking a course on hedge funds, it begins to learn the way that I like to be taught. So if I prefer to listen versus watching video versus reading, it starts to learn my own patterns. If I like to learn in the morning versus not at night, it starts to send me reminders early in the morning to take the course or finish the course. So it really is a powerful tool to help educate advisors so that they feel more confident talking about this with their clients. Do you think we're going to see TV commercials and other ads where RIAs try to scare the public into avoiding alts? I think we're going to see the opposite, truthfully. I think we're going to see more dialogue and conversation around how to leverage some different types of investments for your for your portfolio. Um, so I don't think, I mean, there's always going to be those that are going to try scare tactics, but what I think is we're going to see alternative investment conversations become more mainstream. And as long as we can all together as an industry frame those conversations around truth and education, I think there's a powerful story to be told there. I agree. I think there's, and again, you may not want to include alternatives in in your portfolios for your clients, but at the same time, you're going to have to address this. And to some advisors that might sound like, oh, geez, that's more work, more things I got to learn about in my business as I deal with this complexity. But you just offered up a platform that helps you through machine learning with a lot of the education that you're going to need. So the resources are there. Yeah. And there's no charge for any advisor who wants to come in and just learn. You know, um, you don't have to transact on the platform to enter into the case platform to even take our courses. And many of them are CE credit approved at the macro level. So, you know, there's another reason to take some courses if you need some CE credits. Exactly. Well, let's talk a little bit about Abby Salome now. Okay. We heard about case and I want to talk about you and your new role and your success in you know, prior marketing leadership positions was primarily in the advisor custody and advice spaces. 
at Ameritrade, at uh, Private Advisor Group, Hightower. You're ranging into a new zip code by uh, you know leading marketing efforts with a, a technology company um, and even further with a fintech that focuses specifically on alls. But my new favorite England soccer coach, Ted Lasso, said once, <laughs> taking on a challenge is a lot like riding a horse. If you're comfortable with, while you're doing it, you're probably not doing it right. So uh, how do you tackle this challenge with this, this, this new role? Well, I mean, Derek, you and I know each other a really long time. And I think that um, I would be quite bored if I did something that I've always done before. So for me, I'm always looking for that new challenge. Um, I'm always looking to learn something new. And um, I am listening and learning every day. So this is certainly... What I can do here is take my knowledge of how advisors think and how they want to be served and how they want to learn and how they want to build community. And I can take that into a new area that I've never done before. So that was really appealing to me as I look to this. And um, and it is a learning curve, but I feel like it's certainly within the ecosystem that we've all worked in. We've all worked with advisors on helping them build their portfolios in some way or another, whether it's an introduction to an asset manager, whether it's a partner that had worked with us on sponsoring a conference or providing thought leadership. So there were synergies there that I already had. And this is just a new way for me to expand upon my own knowledge base. Well, you you work with probably more than 20,000 advisors in your career. And I often think when hiring for key roles in this industry, people overlook the experience one has had with advisors, sitting across from them, understanding them, understanding how they like to be educated, understanding their willingness to be educated. And uh, product knowledge, I always feel, is a skill that can come along. And, and I can already tell in this conversation, your your knowledge and your understanding of the alt space has grown tremendously in those six weeks and two days that you've been on the job. So, um, but I mean, yeah, you've got that in spades. And I, the other piece too is just, let's face it, you're, you're part of a business that's out there to grow and become profitable and your understanding of how to market this business to these advisors is extremely important. So I, I think they got the right person in the right seat there. Well, I appreciate that. I really do. And, you know, it's, it's exciting to be part of a firm that I think is just at the precipitous of massive explosion. And that's one of the reasons why I, I was, uh, this job was appealing to me is the impact I can make on the growth of the company. And then more importantly, just like a solid, great group of people that make up the team. And, you know, you and I have talked about this in the past, like at this age and this stage of my life, I only want to work with good people. And I found that to be the case with, with case. Yeah. Talking about something that's overlooked a lot of the time is the people surrounding you, the, the people you work for, the people you work with, people that work for you. Life is just too short. And, uh, you know, we won't talk about age here, but at our ages, we just, you know, it, it's just not worth it anymore. It's just not worth it to work with people that you don't enjoy being around and working with to to strive towards hitting a goal. And so it's I've met some of the some of the people that are around you. I met Matt, your your CEO, and 
they seem like delightful people that are very focused on on the team uh, as well as the mission. Yeah, it's people first, right? So um, if you get good people and you treat them well and you can inspire and motivate them and inspire and motivate each other, then you've got a winning formula. What are your top two goals? I know you're still working on this because you've had some planning meetings recently, but you know, in, in terms of what your focus is on over the next 12 months, what would you say the, the top two areas of focus would be? Well, I think refining the case brand and getting our awareness out there. I think that's definitely a big one. And then um, partnering with, you know, it's a marketplace we work with. If you think about it, you know, we're bringing in the asset managers on one side and we're bringing the advisors in on the other side and really creating that engagement between the two and building out that ecosystem and community is is huge. So, you know, those are really the two things I want to focus my energy on. Um, in addition to all the tactical things that you know that I work on nonstop, like PR and content and blog posts and digital marketing and media and so on and so forth. Well, you're prolific on all those things. I think during this podcast, you've probably tweeted five times. I just haven't seen and seen those yet. But uh, I mean, you're just super efficient. And one day, maybe I'll learn how to do that and learn how to turn it into revenue. But uh but what do, what do you enjoy most about marketing, Abby? I mean, or, you know, just about your career and, and, and what you've done. What do you enjoy most about it? Um, I think the ability to think strategically around how you can help an organization articulate what they do and how they do it is, you know, definitely jazzes me up. Um, and then taking that and translating it into an executable plan. Um, and then seeing the results. I think it's always great to be results driven and to really monitor and track how well you're performing. Not me personally, but like the team, the company, trends in the industry. Um, and just, you know, for me, it's important to make, to feel like I'm making an impact and helping the retail investor in some way, because at the end of the day, all of us should be thinking about the retail investor. That's the, to quote Simon Sinek, that's the why and what we do every day is, is and, and oftentimes in our industry, you know, we go to these conferences, we forget about why we're in the room, who ultimately we're making, whose lives we're ultimately, ultimately making an impact upon. So it's, uh, I, I'm glad you said that. That's important. You know, in the brand that you're talking about, I recently had on a podcast, Aaron Klein from Riskalyze. And, you know, I think the turning point in his his career and his business is when they built this brand around a speed limit sign of all things to describe uh, and to convey a very difficult idea, a different difficult process around the risk analysis of portfolios. They simplified it and that took on a life of its own as it meant, as it, as it translated into growth for the company and the understanding of the un underlying investor. And I think there's, there's, that's definitely, the, I think, the road that you're going down with Case is, is taking something that can be very complex and has been complex to the individual investor and making it understandable. Yeah, 100. And make it easier for advisors to process and making it more compliant for enterprises to follow. So going back to you, you know, over your career, who's been 
your mentor, your guiding light uh, that you've looked to for advice throughout your career and, and, and has brought to you where, where you are today? You know, I can't say that I've ever had like one mentor per se that guided me throughout my career. And I think it's because I've had a lot of different phases of my career. Being a mom of three kids and now three teenagers, it hasn't always been easy to know when to lean in and when to lean out. But I certainly had many supporters along the way, you know, People like Tom Bradley, who you and I both reported into, was a very big proponent and propelled and propped me up at TD, which was fantastic. And Mark Tiburgeon at Pershing was always a good sounding board for me. Even John Highland with Private Advisor Group uh, entrusted me with, with doing a lot for that business in a very short period of time. And clearly friends and women of women friends of mine in the industry that I use as confidants like Suzanne Syracuse and April Rudin and people like you, Derek. We've known each other for, you know, a long time. So I'm grateful for the friendships that I've been able to forge during my somewhat tenured career. And um and sound advice from trusted people is always really valued. Well, your husband, Mark, had said he'd pay me a hundred bucks if he could get his names, you know, uh, spoken by you as one of his mentors, but, uh, but we're not going to, we're not going to get that Mark. Sorry. Um, but, um, well, th- this is great. So is this the capstone capstone of your career? I mean, you kill it in this role. Uh, you make case a household name, you drive revenues into the hundreds of millions and you sell the company for billions and then you retire on a beach. Is, is that, is that the grand plan? I don't know, Derek. You know, I thought I was retiring last year when I left Hightower, and here I am back at it again. So I have no idea. I'm just going to enjoy the journey and take it one day at a time and, you know, figure it out as I go along. Have the dogs adjusted to the fact that uh, you have two dogs or one? Two. Two friends. Two. Have they adjusted to the fact that you're working again? Yeah, they, they typically are laying right next to me next to my desk, but um, I kicked them out because I didn't want them barking in the event that they heard something outside while we were recording. But I think they are the ones that are actually happiest because now I'm just home working all the time and they just lay next to me, whereas the rest of the family has gone through a little bit of an adjustment. There's no food in the house. There's no you know, laundry done and nobody knows where anything is anymore. So we're all adjusting. Well, that's part of their development too, though, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I had to kick the dog out of my office during podcasts. He, or she dreams during these podcasts and makes noises about some big bone or something like that. She's going to get a hold of, so she's been kicked out. But uh, well, Abby, this has been awesome. Um, I congratulations on your new role. You're going to kill it again in this role. I know it. That's that's been your trademark throughout your career, and I know. In fact, beyond podcasts, we're going to be working together. 100%. And I look forward to that. Thank you so much for the time. And, uh, you know, happiest holidays to you and the fam. And to you too, you and Mark and the family and enjoy your, uh, enjoy your holiday season. Thanks, Abby. Thank you. And thank you for listening to my show today. You can subscribe to Can You Hold My Attention podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and Stitcher, as well as through our LinkedIn page with the same name. 
Have a great day and stay safe.